girls. I know Mr. Todd's got something exciting downstairs for all of y'all if you want to head that way. You know, I hope that you're here today <clears throat> and you want something new, something better. This world offers us a lot of things. Sometimes it's hopelessness, helplessness, but I believe, <clears throat> according to the scriptures, that things can be better. No matter what's going on in our lives, things can be better. Some of you are facing some difficult challenges. Some of you have physical challenges. Some of you have relational challenges. Some are having emotional and financial troubles. And look, the world is full of problems. But guess what? God has a plan for things to be better, plans for you to be better, for things to work better. And that is <clears throat> the message, the hope of Jesus Christ. You know, that message has impacted the world for many, many years, all the way from the beginning. But it really started to have this, this new impact whenever the church was born after Jesus' entry to the world as a human being. We have been studying the record of that that's found in the book of Acts. If you've been here with us throughout this, then you know that we're in Acts chapter 10. If you are not, haven't been here, that's where we are in this ongoing series of Acts chapter 10. We've been in a little mini-series on the story of Cornelius and how the first Gentiles became followers of Jesus Christ. You will remember that Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army. He was not Jewish. Up until this point, all of the followers of Jesus have been Jewish. But now God is doing something new. He's introducing his message to those who are outside of the Jewish faith the ultimate, I guess you would say, new wine is what? That, that God's love and His message is going to all mankind. And we, as Gentiles, non-Jews, have been the beneficiaries of this. And so we've been looking at this story. In a small recap, there's a dynamic situation happens where Peter has a dream, Cornelius has a dream. Those two dreams converge as they meet together. If you want to hear a lot more on that, you can go back and look online or go to all the podcasts and check it out. But basically, at this particular point, Peter has <clears throat> come from Joppa to, um, to um, Capernaum, Caesarea. I don't know why I said that last week. To Caesarea. And um, they've met up, and here we have the beginning of how these Gentiles become followers of Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as we read very quickly the Holy Bible, God's Word to us. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34, says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. But God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all, of all he did through Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. 
for they had heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. May God bless the public reading of his words. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> we've stated again, and it can't be overstated, how important this event is. This is the introduction of the gospel or the good news to the Gentiles, which most of the world are made up of what? Gentiles. The Jews are a very small group of people numerically in the world. And so this is a very important thing. And we see here in this particular passage, got four points today that I want you to reflect upon. But the first one here is that, <clears throat> that God's message is good news. Look right here. It says what? This is the message of good news. Now, I want you to pause for just a moment, and I want you to ask yourself, when you think of the church, when you think of God, when you think of that, do most people think of good news, or do they sometimes think of bad news? I find that many people are always sharing bad news, and they think of God as can't, or they think of life as less than if they give it to God. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. The message of God is good news. I just want to read to you. This right here is like 10 pages. Just listen really quickly. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Mark 1.15, the time has come, He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, and the good news will come. Paul, Romans 1, 1, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the good news of God. It goes on and on and on. Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And it goes on and on and on. God's message is good news. If you're out there and all you're ever sharing is bad news, you need to pause because that's not God's message. That's some other message. That's the message of the Pharisees. That's the message of the religious leaders. That's the message of someone who has gotten things twisted. God's message is good news. That is the gospel. Good news. Look, you ought to be a person that people look to for good news. As a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you're a purveyor of good news, not bad news. Now, here's the problem. What sells in this world? Bad news. Turn on any channel, what do they want to tell you about? Bad news. I declare today that the vast majority of the problems in this world in our society, politically, economically, are the result of, no, of everyone just talking about bad news. Turn any channel. They're going to give you the bad news from every angle, but nobody wants to talk about the good news. And the greatest good news of all is that God loves every human being. And God has a plan for them to be made right. And that leads us to what really this, this good news is, and it's this. 
It's God's offer of peace to human beings. And he, he explains to them, what is the good news? The literal word is gospel. So, so number two is this good news is what? God's offer of peace. Now, before we jump into everything that that's about, he goes and he tells a story. Look at what all he says there. The good news, because Cornelius doesn't know the good news. Remember, Cornelius is a righteous man. He's given gifts to the poor. He says prayers, but he, he doesn't know the good news. How many of you ever heard the statement that no news is good news? Sometimes no news is good news. There are a lot of scenarios where if you don't hear from somebody, it's like, okay, that's, that's good news. When it comes to God, that's not the case. You see, if somebody doesn't know about God, no news is not good news because they don't know. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by preaching. So someone has to share with them the good news of God. If not, they're left to what? Try to figure it out on their own. How would you like to have to figure it out on your own and say, am I good enough? Am I going to make it without the good news of the gospel. That's the reason that we're called to do, as Jesus said, to proclaim the good news throughout the world. The reason that we give money and we start churches in the Philippines, the reason that missionaries like Pastor Jeremiah, who was here on Tuesday for lunch, shares the gospel and has a church in the slums of Kenya is because many people don't know the good news. They grew up in a world maybe of witchcraft or of sorcery or of all sorts of different craziness. They don't know the good news that God loves them. I mean, imagine if you will, you lived in a world where if you lived on a dollar a day. Total squalor. All right? No running water. Only hope was a factory to go to work to. And they basically took most of your pay for the little shanty tin that you lived in. You were brought there with the promise of a job that you were going to have something and you got there nothing. You're talking about hopeless. You're talking about helpless. You're talking about all sorts of darkness. They don't know the good news, many of them, about Jesus Christ. And listen, if you don't have any hope for anything good in this life, you really are looking for the good news and the life to come, as we all should. And so the good news is that regardless of what happens here, God has offered peace to humanity. Now, what is this whole idea of God offering peace? This is very important. We need to pause for a moment because this is, this is a very fundamental doctrinal concept that we see here and we need to think about for just a minute. So what is this God's offer of peace? Because look what he says right here. It's good news that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, what this idea of peace with God is, is a biblical word and a doctrinal word called reconciliation. Now, you know the word. If you someone is, is out of sorts and they get reconciled, okay? So when we start talking about reconciled, it really literally, according to Webster, means the restoration of friendly or cordial relations, all right? So that's why um, spouses can be reconciled if they are outside of cordial or friendly relations. Fathers and sons and parents and children can be reconciled. Nations can be reconciled. Well, in this particular instance, we, we see that there is a, a break between God and human beings. 
The Bible says in many places that there is even used this word, there's enmity between God and man. It starts from the very beginning. Look at verses 8 and 10 in the book of Romans chapter 5. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, very literally, we as sinners are in opposition to God. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for us. Oftentimes, think of this, it's not the same, but think about your own children. Oftentimes, they are at odds with you. They're not doing what you would want them to do. And they may not be operating the way you would want. It doesn't change the fact that you love them, but they still may not be in a reconciled relationship with you. Colossians 1, 19 and 21, Paul talks about it even further. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. You see, Sin puts opposition to God. Now, this is a hard concept for some people to understand because they, they really want to tie into the idea that God loves us and God does love us and he loves us no matter what. But you see, if sin doesn't have a consequence, if the wages of sin are not death, then what we do doesn't matter. You see, this isn't just some little game. This is, this is the fabric of the universe, the entire fabric of the universe is wrapped up and you reap what you sow, cause and effect. This is the nature of the world. And it's why our actions matter. It's why we feel bad when we see someone do something wrong. It's why we feel bad whenever someone is murdered. It's why there's, we, there's a sense in right or wrong that is inside of all creation. And we're born wrong but God loves us and so he made a way through Jesus Christ to reconcile all of us back to him to bring about peaceful relations with God let me ask you this a question that we should ask ourselves on a regular basis but especially today is do I have peace with God I mean, in your life, do you have peace with God? Maybe on the, the first, most deep level, have you surrendered your life to God? You see, I hear people a lot of times, as a pastor, as a minister, I'm called upon oftentimes to speak when someone passes from this life to the next or, or to go to them whenever they're coming to the end of their time on this earth. And I have met many people, and occasionally people will tell me, I've made peace with God. And I almost always respond because of how serious this is. Don't focus so much on whether you've made peace with God, but has God made peace with you? Because you see, 
The person who is under the authority doesn't get to dictate the terms of peaceful surrender. You see, God is the holy, just God who gets to dictate the terms of surrender. You see, you can't live like you want to live, do what you want to do, never adhere to God, never surrender to God, and then think right at the very end, at any point, you're just going to say, well, I've made peace with God. That ain't going to work. Now, it will work if in your heart, like the thief on the cross, you look upon the sacrifice of Jesus, and you're like, man, this guy's suffering for something he didn't do. I'm suffering for what I deserve. I'm a wretched sinner. Jesus, remember me and forgive me because for, I need it. Well, guess what? He made peace with God. And Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You remember the other guy? He just lashed out in pride. Guess what? It's not going to help to say you made peace with God. What's going to help is if God makes peace with you. And the only way to make peace with God, the Bible tells us, is through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something here because this is gets where it gets interesting to me. Many people tend to want to define what that means based on their own experience and try to translate that equivocally to everyone else. It's not like that. You see, everyone's expression, everyone's response, what that looks like is oftentimes different. And the Bible's a perfectly good example of this. I want you to look at it. In this particular story, notice, and we're not quite there, but in this particular story, what happens? Peter comes and he tells them about the message of Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit and they, they speak in other tongues and then they get baptized. In other places in Acts, people get baptized, then they get the Holy Spirit the thief on the cross never got baptized. There's, listen, don't try to make everyone fit into your formula, okay? You don't get to do that. I've said this over and over because what happens is when we start trying to say that this is the only way this works, we're getting off track. Let God work in people's lives. Let God bring about the relationship to Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't lay out and tell our story, that we don't share the things that we see in the Bible and how this process works, but we don't need to try to nullify someone else's experience because it wasn't the exact same experience that we had. And this happens both ways. There are many people who have an experience with God, and they, they have this ecstatic experience, and they speak in tongues as a part of their experience. And some have taken that as because this is what happened to me, that, that this is how it worked for me, that you got to have that too, and that you have to do that. And if you don't do that, well, then what you had isn't as real as what I've had. See, it works both ways. And what happens is, we create division in our churches and we create division among God's people over something that should be unifying. The fact that we make peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of our sins. Baptism's a part of that. We see it. But we don't need to get so focused on the sequence and we don't need to get so focused on the method that we mess up what's really supposed to be happening, whereas people make a turn and a shift 
to God and make peace with God. Maybe you want to talk more about that. This is a hard, hard subject that we'd be glad to have a conversation with anyone about that. Maybe you're watching this online, you have questions about it. Be glad to have a conversation with you about that, and we can talk about more of that. Number three, notice here that in this process, as a result of making peace with God, there's a gift that's given to these particular believers. Look what it says. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. You see, God gives a gift to those who make peace with him, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It talks over and over about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? When you make a commitment to Christ and you become a believer in Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now this is, can be complicated because God's Spirit is everywhere. He's omnipresent, okay? But in a special way, whenever you make a commitment to Jesus Christ or baptized into His family, now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And look what it says in Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That, you heard me talk about that song. The same Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us to give us power to live in the right way. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You realize sometimes you don't, know, you don't have words to say. Maybe you're encountering a situation where you don't have an answer. Someone's struggling, and you know you want to help them, but you don't know what to say. Guess what? You, sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just give them a hug. Tell them, look, I'm going to lift you up before God. And sometimes God will speak through you. Sometimes they'll just feel his presence. You see, it's a gift to know that you've got the God of the universe living inside of you to help you overcome grief, to overcome doubt, to overcome fear, to stand victorious, to have joy, to have victory. And that name, I love that song, it love, victory, joy, that has a name. That name is Jesus and his embodiment is living in you through the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. You realize if you're a believer, in your inner being, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have kind of locked him away there, and we don't want to, we don't want to think about all that because of what it, how it would change my life. But what if we all opened ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's power within us, his presence there in our lives? I guess we could ask this question maybe. Is God's Spirit working in me? If you're a believer, he's there. He's indwelling you. But is he working? Because you can, according to the scriptures, quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be trying to 
work through you, but guess what? You have an autonomous free will. He's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. He's not going to force you to be this or not do that. So I guess, are we allowing God's Spirit, this gift that we've been given, to work in and through us? You know, sometimes I think we do. We see moments where we're allowing God's Spirit to work. Now, it's not always religious, so don't, don't just think religiously, okay? You realize that whenever you do a really good job at whatever it is you're gifted at, let's say you're a teacher and you do a great job and you, you make kids feel like they're important and you teach them things, you help them to come to understand, you know what? That, to me, is God's Spirit working in you because you're fulfilling your gifts. Maybe, maybe whatever it is you do, your talents, your abilities, see, God's Spirit can work to make you significant and successful in that. Sometimes it might be physically, literally sharing the message of Jesus. Other times it might be overcoming something that would have normally caused you not to succeed. Whatever. But this, this is how God works through us. Sometimes it might be distinctly spiritual or religious, but other times it's just a part of our life, our daily life. But always when God's Spirit is a part of what we're doing, and we've made peace with Him, there's going to be some sort of evidence of God's work that's going on in our lives. And that leads us to number four. We see clearly in this particular encounter. And see, this was unique because, again, this was the first Gentiles to ever come to Christ. This is a unique point in history. There's a lot of specific things that happen here. The evidence that they have in this particular situation was what? Was the speaking of tongues or other languages. Now, it's very important. We're going to talk as Acts develops, okay? This is not, as I've said before, what we typically hear of when we say people speaking in tongues. That's a different form of religious expression that we're going to talk about later. This particular situation, look what it says. They spoke in other languages just as the apostles had. You remember what happened to the apostles in Acts chapter 2? Whenever they spoke in other tongues, they spoke in a language that they didn't understand. Other people heard it in a language that they did understand. All right, so it's really a miracle of languages that is used in this situation by God to show evidence that God is pouring His Spirit out upon them. Now, that's not the... Speaking in tongues, which is like a prayer language, which we're going to deal with as we get to that place in Acts. And we look at that, okay? But this particular situation was a miracle of languages. They, they spoke in a language that wasn't their own, but other people heard it. And as a result of that, they all were like, wow, God is doing the same thing. And there's this evidence that it's for real. Why did it take something so dramatic? Remember, we're talking about all of their history here. Look, even... Up until this point, with even the dramatic dream, okay, Peter had, to, Peter had a dream, all the miracles that took place to get him to Cornelius. And look at what he even said in there. He said, when he was telling them the good news, it's just interesting. He says, <clears throat> in that verse, he says, this is the good news for the people of Israel. So he still didn't even think and understand the scope of what God was trying to do. And so God did something extremely dramatic, which was this miracle of languages, this evidence, so that all who would hear it would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God 
was now opening up this message of good news to the Gentiles. And the rest of the next chapter is about how Peter goes back to tell the people in Jerusalem and they're, they're criticizing him. They're upset because they didn't see it for themselves. So, so that's why you have this dramatic thing. And I believe today, look, there are, there are miraculous, extraordinary things that God will do to provide evidence of his working. Now, specifically, those may not all translate. Sometimes they do. But I want you to look at three things that I believe, regardless of what the specific evidence are, they will be encompassed by some of the things that we see here. Look at some of the evidence of God's work that should be universal if God is moving, if His Spirit is in us. Number one, look what happened to them. They talk differently. Now, they talk differently. They used a, a whole different language, and God demonstrated there. But you know what? Even today, whenever God comes into your life and you surrender to Him, you're supposed to talk different. You're not supposed to be as negative as you were. You're not supposed to use the kind of language that you used to use. You're supposed to have seasoned with salt and not tearing people down but lifting them up. You're supposed to talk differently. Is there any evidence of God's work in your life that you talk differently? Do you talk about Him Maybe instead of, do you say a little prayer before you eat because you're thankful to God for what he's done? Do you tell the people in your, relation, in your life and relationships how much you care for them? Do you talk differently? You should. That's an evidence of God working. Look at another evidence, and I believe this one is very, very important too, is they got baptized. You see, as an evidence of what God was doing, what did Peter say? Hey, What's to prevent you from being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? This is an evidence. So, so if, you, if you give your life to Christ and you want to follow God and make peace with Him, one of the evidences of that is what? Is that you get baptized. And I've said this over and over. Oftentimes people are like, well, well do I have to? Well, you know, I, I'm not one of these that likes to tell anybody what they have to do or not do. I just wonder why you wouldn't want to do that. What could possibly be the reason? Now, like I said, do I believe that if you make a genuine commitment to Christ and before you're able to get baptized in water, that you get run over in the street? That, are you okay? Look, I, I don't even think of worry about that kind of stuff. I'll trust God to handle all that. He's a just God. I'm more focused on why a person who really wants to give their life to Christ wouldn't want to show the evidence to others and stand before their peers and say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm buried with Christ, and I'm raised to walk in a new life. You see, it's just it's a visible demonstration of something that's supposed to have happened in here and why it's so important. If you've never done that, maybe you're watching this online, and you're like, you're kind of saying, well, I want God, I want to make peace with God. Well, look, maybe it's time to take that step and say, hey, I want to be baptized as a demonstration of my faith in Jesus Christ. Look, number three, the evidence we see in Cornelius. What did it say? After Cornelius, afterward, he asked them to stay. You know what? They were hungry to learn more. You see, part of the evidence of being connected and being right with God is that you want to learn more. You want to hear about Jesus. You want to read about what's going on. You want to hear things that, that teach you more about how to live. Are you and I hungry for more? I think there's an old song that, that that's the title of it, Hungry. Are you hungry for God? That song we did last week, More of You, God. I want more of you. Set a fire 
deep inside because I want more of you. Do you want more of God? Are you just kind of out there, got him on the edge? I got enough. I don't need too much more. See, oftentimes we get like that because we're defining what more of God would look like for us by what other people claim more of God is to them. Don't do that. See, more of God to you can only be good. It'll bring you to a better, more abundant place. And it might not look exactly like it looks like with other people. Some people are hesitant because they're like, well, I, I don't know if I want all of that. Well, maybe all of that isn't part of your experience. Don't let the enemy keep you from wanting more of God's work in your life. I guess the question to close would be this. Is there any evidence that God is working in my life? You know, I heard an evangelist say one time, and this really question has stuck with me over decades. He said, if you were to stand on trial and they had brought in a prosecutor, could they find enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a believer? Or would the defense have plenty of evidence? And it was a little mental thing, but it stuck with me. Because I was like, man, does the way I talk give evidence of how much God means to me? Does the way I spend my money give evidence of what God means to me? Do the places that I go, do they provide evidence for how important God is? Do the relationships that I have, do the way that I think? And on and on and on. Is there any evidence that God is working in my life? And of course, I think any honest assessment of that would look and say, well, probably not as much as I would like. There's probably some good evidence, you know, in this way. And just like in your life, there's some evidence. If you, if you look here and you look there and all of the good things that so many of you do and so many things, and that, those are things that are awesome to be championed. And those are the things that we should continue striving to work towards. But then we'd also look and say, huh, there's some other things that probably aren't, they wouldn't be prosecution. We don't want to call that witness. You know what I'm saying? We need, to not, we, want to, we need to keep them from getting called to the stand. And so we have to ask ourselves, hey, how do I continue to grow in my relationship with Christ so that more of my life is an evidence to others that God is important? It's not perfection. See, sometimes the best evidence, you've heard me say this, Maybe in those moments of imperfection, in those moments of failure where you're honest and you explain and you let people and you confess and you grow and you change. Look, that's the best evidence. Look, if you're perfect, you, this, you're not going to have many people that are going to be in that category anyway. I mean, if you're a super really awesome, always think right, always do right, always say right, everything, you're perfect. Look, I'm not saying there's not people out there that you can't help and touch, but, but those aren't the people I meet. I meet people who need the evidence of God's grace working when they mess up on a regular basis when they're not thinking right, when they're not doing right, when their relationships aren't going the way they need to, whenever they're struggling to figure out how to live in this world in the, in the midst of having so, much thing, so many things and, and battling kids and, and life and death and all that. This is where we need the evidence 
to other people that, hey, man, God has a message of good news that in spite of all of your troubles, in spite of all of your shortcomings, in spite of all your failures, you can have peace with God if you'll just surrender to Jesus Christ. I pray if there's anyone here who's never made peace with God and in return had God make peace with them through Jesus that today would be their day of salvation. I pray that each of us who are already believers would surrender more and more of our lives to Him in an effort to have peace with the God who loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all that you do for us. We're grateful for your son Jesus. We're grateful for your holy scriptures that tell us the story of how you brought the message of hope and good news to those of us in this world. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender ourselves. That we would literally raise a white flag of surrender to the God who created us. To make peace with you through your son Jesus Christ. Lord, in the areas that we're struggling, whatever they may be, I pray, Lord, that we would lay them literally at the altar for your son Jesus to forgive us and that we may walk in a new way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.